I was home on fall break during my freshman year of college, and my mom and I were out together at our local Panera Bread. I remember every detail of this coffee date. I remember the exact booth that we sat in. I remember the muffin that we shared between us. I remember the sweet mocha latte in front of me because I hadn't learned to drink real coffee yet. I remember it all so vividly, so vividly because I was nervous. I had something that I wanted to talk with my mom about, but it was the kind of conversation that for me took some courage. It was the kind of conversation that had some, some shame laced into it. As we sat there, my mom could tell that something was bothering me. Sweetie, what's wrong? She asked. I burst into tears before I could even get the words out. She reached for my hand, patiently waiting for me to speak. I don't think I believe in God, I said. Her face visibly relaxed into gentle compassion. My mom was relieved. With the way I had been crying, she had been worried that I was dropping out of school or that I was pregnant or both. <laughs> this felt much more manageable to her. But for me, this conversation, it felt like a huge deal. Many of you know that both of my parents were Presbyterian ministers. I grew up steeped in a Christian church. It was an inextricable part of my family's DNA. And I loved that. I loved it. I had such a great experience in the churches of my childhood. I, I loved the people. I loved the traditions. I loved that I got to be a part of a loving and caring community, and I loved the thoughtful and heartfelt messages that I heard my parents preach about from the pulpit. Even so, I had questions about what we believed and why we believed it. And I had these questions for a long time, but with church being so integral to my family's life, I felt scared to ask them. I was worried about what my theological doubts said about me. I was worried about how they might affect my relationship with my family. And so I kept quiet until I felt it bubbling up in me in that Panera bread that morning. I don't think I believe in God, I confessed. My mom answered with such tenderness, such compassion. With her hand holding mine, she looked me in the eyes and she gave me this gentle invitation. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. Chances are I don't believe in that God either. My mom doesn't take credit 
for this response. She later told me she was quoting other wise ministers who she'd heard respond this way to similar confessions of disbelief. But boy, was this the response I didn't know I needed. I needed that invitation to make sense of the idea of God on my own terms. To let go of all the baggage that the word God can hold. My mom and I then talked for hours about her experience of God and her spiritual journey. And I felt the gates opening to me feeling a newfound sense of permission to make meaning with this concept of God in ways that could possibly be enriching to my spiritual life rather than restricting, as I had thought before. For me right now, sometimes I feel drawn to use the word God. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it feels good to have a word that points toward an experience of existence that is so huge and so transcendent and so intimate and deep and unknowable. Sometimes it feels unhelpful to even try and name that. Now when someone asks me if I believe in God, a no or a yes feels insufficient. Do I believe in God? Well, that depends. What is God? Thank you for that beautiful reflection. One day, Completely out of the blue, my eight-year-old daughter asked me, Daddy, do you believe in God? Gulp. (laughs) Right then, my entire undergrad religion major, all the theology, philosophy, and sophistry flashed in front of my mind's eye in a split second. My daughter didn't know that I was raised in a small German Protestant group, and when I was her age, I was encouraged to believe that an ageless white male with a flowing white beard sat on a colossal throne somewhere above the universe, constantly judging my every thought and action, prepared 24-7 to strike me down with a lightning bolt if I strayed even slightly from his divine plan. Picture Zeus with an irritable German temperament. When I finished the religion degree, I was accepted at a seminary. My plan was to earn a master's in divinity in three years, then go into Christian ministry. But you already know, things often don't work as planned. Over that summer, it dawned on me that I had no business starting seminary that fall. You see, The religion degree had taught me how to question everything. Doubt had whispered, if you believe something and it wasn't true, how would you know that? 
doubt had torn down my entire Christian faith. And when that faith structure was leveled to the ground, doubt drilled down to what I thought was bedrock. I doubted the very idea of God. At 22, I realized I did not want to be in a Protestant pulpit at age 25 trying to lead a congregation closer to a God whose very existence I doubted. I thought somehow that might lack integrity. <laughs> it didn't take long before the other shoe dropped and I left that Protestant group too. Looking back now, I am so grateful that I didn't give up on the search for meaning at that young age. Much of the credit for that goes to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Elkhart, Indiana. This was back in the pre-Google era when we found things in a thick book that some of you remember called the Yellow Pages. I'm a Yellow Page UU. We are a small and typically gray-haired subgroup. <laughs> Before I attended my first UU service, all I knew about them from their Yellow Page entry was their funny-sounding name and a street address. I was a little bit nervous, not knowing quite what to expect. And in my nervousness, I almost turned into the Pentecostal church down the street by mistake. If I had, I would have never recovered from my first impression of the UUs. But I found the right place in more ways than one. Most importantly, I found fellow seekers. I found a place where my doubts about God weren't judged they were given a safe space. And in that safe space, I let go of whatever was left of the image of God as a noun, as a being. That's just a metaphor, after all. Never meant to be taken literally. And I opened to the idea, at least, of God as a verb, being with a capital B. 30 years later, after pondering a lot of great UU sermons, I've come to three tentatively firm conclusions about the meaning of meaning, and I'd like to share those now. First, I suspect, but cannot know for sure, that the universe just is, and it does not come to us with built-in meaning. That's a big one, so let me repeat. I suspect, but cannot know for sure, that the universe just is, and it does not come to us with a built-in meaning. Second, however, that's not to say life lacks meaning, because everywhere I look, I see vast systems of meaning, many of them claiming to have a direct line to the divine. I suspect, but cannot know for sure, that we didn't receive any revelation from above 
that instead we humans composed and remixed all of our meaning systems. And we did so out of a deep hunger to find satisfying answers to the three enormous existential questions of life. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And what happens when we die? If you buy the twin ideas that on the one hand, the universe probably doesn't come to you with a built-in meaning just waiting to be revealed. And on the other hand, you hunger for meaning, knowing that healthy meaning in your life is like oxygen in your lungs. Then you've probably already started what you use call a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. It's a free search because you do not have to ask for, for permission to start your search. And the answers are not predetermined. Third, I suspect, but cannot know for sure, that everything we know, the entire island of all human knowledge, is like a microscopic dot in a nearly infinite ocean of what is knowable. I got a reminder of that from a PBS program on how telescopes changed in the past century. When Edwin Hubble started his research, it was common belief that our Milky Way was the one and only galaxy. We were off by just a tad. <laughs> A century later, with the help of his namesake space telescope, astronomers estimate, and underline that word estimate, that there are two trillion galaxies out there, each with an average 100 billion stars. That's two followed by 23 zeros, meaning more stars like our sun out there than every grain of sand on every beach and in every desert of our tiny blue boat home. And if that's not humbling enough, they think dark energy and dark matter to concepts which balance the equations, but scientists admit they barely understand, account for 95% of the universe. On that point, one of the astronomers said, it's as if our planet was 95% covered by oceans and we didn't understand the properties of water. Clearly, there's plenty of room for the shoreline of our tiny volcanic island of knowledge to grow. In the meantime, what I know deep in my heart is that whatever meaning map I navigate life with, that map will never be anything more than a tiny scale model of a much bigger reality. Intellectual humility seems like a wise response. After all, if we can be off by two trillion galaxies, what other seemingly obvious beliefs might we doubt? These days, I self-identify as a humanist agnostic who has strong spiritual and skeptical sides. 
One part of me has a deep sense of mystery and wonder. I have a sense that even though we're each just one drop in the ocean of life, we're connected to the energy of the ocean and we are connected to each other. Another part of me, however, thinks it's obvious that nothing is obvious. So if you drill down deep enough on any meaning system, religious, scientific, political, eventually you get to the foundational assumptions. Those are the ones that can't be proven or disproven. Here's an example of one type of religious foundational assumption. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No matter what you think about that, the odds of that, no one can prove or definitively disprove that statement. But so much of what we think we know about God is passed down as petrified tradition, like the fable of the cat we heard earlier. That's why you use advocate the direct experience of transcending mystery and wonder, because the indirect stuff passed down by traditions since back when most people thought the earth was flat, that's all informative at best. So I long ago decided silence is one of the very best things I have to say about God. Apparently my daughter had heard that silence loud and clear. It's ironic, my parents talked way too much to their children about God. And somewhat in reaction to that, I had talked way too little about God to my only child. In that moment, I was reminded how much we can be shaped by an idea that we react against. All this flashed in front of my mind's eye in a split second. Then in true religion major style, my next thought was, do I believe in God? That depends entirely on what you mean by God. Define your terms. <laughs> but then in a fortunate moment of parental clarity, I remembered that I was chatting with an eight-year-old. <laughs> she was bright, she gets that from her mother, and she was intuitive. I have a gut feeling that she got that from me. But she saw the world in age-appropriate, concrete terms. She did not want sophistry or fancy words like reification. She just wanted an answer from someone she loved and trusted. So when my daughter asked if her daddy believed in God, on a hunch, I decided not to give her a long-winded lecture about humanity's long search for meaning. Instead, I wanted to encourage her search. So I reduced all those swirling thoughts down to a warm smile and Sure, sweetie, how about you? Yeah, she said, there must have been someone around to create the first human. I 
pondered that for a moment, then asked her, but who created God? I could see the spark in her mind. No one, she said, God was always around, out of the mouths of babes. A few years later, in her early teens, one day my daughter announced, I am a UU. Hearing her self-identify with our meaning system flooded me with two powerful emotions. The first was joyous gratitude for the yellow pages <laughs> and, and for the journey. The second was hope. Hope that with the help of the UUs, she and many other seekers like her would grow into a more curious and compassionate understanding of God, however she chooses to define that verb. This day and every day, may our lives be filled with healthy meaning. Blessed be and amen.